got that bass thumping. I feel like we're at a youth event. That's awesome. Thanks, Fabiana. Hey, so my name is Chris Genders. I had the privilege of being a pastor here for 12 years, uh, focusing almost exclusively in student ministry for most of that time. Um, and now work for an organization called Youth for Christ, which is one of our uh, church's kingdom builders, our mission partners. Um, I also happen to work at Metamore High School, and so I get to spend a lot of time with students. And um, I just want to thank you guys for your generosity towards all of our kingdom builders. Uh, but since I'm wearing the YFC shirt, I, I've got to say specifically thank you uh, for your generosity towards YFC. We're doing some great things. Um, God is on the move. We have a youth center up on the square in Metamora. We run after-school programs for high school students. Uh, Monday through Thursday, we have small groups for high school students Monday through Thursday. Middle school has small groups um, every other Thursday night at New Hope Church here in Germantown, and then they use the center on Sunday nights as well. And then we've got club kicking back up, which is our big group gathering. We've got trips and special events and one-on-ones and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's, it's pretty amazing uh, what God is doing. Um, there's also heartbreaking moments. And so uh, just if you would pray for uh, some new things that seem to be developing that um, in all my years of student ministry I haven't dealt with uh, with this frequency, um, but we're working with homeless youth. Um, so we have a number of students that we're starting to get connected with in Metamora, Germantown that are homeless, that uh, either sleeping in cars or couch surfing on friends' homes or staying with somebody who's not a family member or staying in another town and, and uh, trying to serve them as a school district and as, as a ministry. Um, so we just cover your prayers for that. Um, it's kind of a new territory uh, for us. I've dealt with that in the past, but kind of a one-time moment at a time. And now it's, I've had about four or five different students that have come across my, my radar uh, recently. Not all of them are connected to YFC, um, but we want to be a resource, you know, for our community. And so there may be times where, where we come involved uh, with them. So would appreciate your prayers for that. Um, that's a quick update. I got a ton of stuff I want to talk about today. This Ephesians series, hopefully you've been dialing in with it. Our Great Oaks pastors have done a great job. John Rickner from Northwoods taught last week. Um, can you just thank our, our team here for uh, the services that they've been offering on Sunday mornings, uh, worship, children's ministry, student ministry on Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then our teaching team as well. Can you guys thank them for that? <clears throat> This book of Ephesians is one of my favorite books. Um, when I was a young Christian, I discovered Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and I was like, this is what it means to follow Jesus, right? And, and we, we built this series around the word mystery. And Paul uses the word mystery six times in the book of Ephesians. It's the most used um, uh, time we see that word in any book. Paul uses it in other places, but, but not as much as he does here. And so uh, there's this idea that there's something we need to know. Uh, one commentator named Mounts says that it's a secret which would remain such, but for revelation. In other words, we wouldn't discover it unless God revealed it to us. And so what Paul is unpacking here is the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the mystery of the church, which is where God enjoins himself with both Jew and Gentile uh, in the church. Now, I got to be honest, um, I, I, I'm not a huge puzzle person. I don't like puzzles. There's some childhood trauma. Uh, my, my family, when I was in, in before I turned 16, uh, New Year's Eve came around, and we always sat down and did puzzles for like six hours straight. And now it's just my family has ruined it. My wife will say like, hey, Chris, you want to do a puzzle? I'm like, no, that's the last thing I want to do, right? I love dad jokes. If you follow me on social media, you know that, right? Um, I love pirate jokes, and I got to throw one in. Where did the pirate get his hook? The secondhand store. That's for all the reclaimed volunteers out there. So thank you, guys. We better pray. Father God, thank you for this morning, uh, for your word. As we dive into a topic that um, is actually challenging to talk about, 
um, one that, that uh, maybe we don't talk enough about. Um, Father, would you give us a, a biblical perspective on it? Uh, uh, Father, just a perspective that, that helps us not live in fear, um, but Father, to live in, in trust with you. So, Father, just speak through me this morning. Um, the words I say are yours, uh, not mine. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we don't have bulletins anymore, thanks COVID. Um, but if you happen to have your own journal um, or you have a notes app on your phone or something like this, I'm going to ask some questions, and I want you to um, don't say the answers out loud because that might be embarrassing for yourself. Um, but I want you to be thinking about the answers or jot them down in your journals, in your notes app, something like that, okay? Here's the questions. What are your areas of greatest discontent? Where are you discontent? What's your, your areas of greatest insecurity? Your areas of, of greatest temptation? What's your areas of, of greatest fear? And I'm not talking about snakes and heights or public speaking. I'm talking about social, emotional, relational, spiritual fears. And just to, to be lead by example, um, I'm going to share some of mine. So areas of discontentment over the years. It doesn't mean that these have, have conquered me, but they're things that I have to fight every now and again, right? Areas of discontentment, my professional, you know, progress, possessions and wealth. I, I grew up poor, and so I'm always a little, have to wrestle through some discontentment with my money. Areas of insecurity, I, I care way too much what other people think of me. If you could get in my head about the number of times that I think, what is that person thinking about me? How is this going to be perceived? Way too much. Totally insecure there. Areas of temptation, sexual temptation, self-promotion, that's a huge area of temptation for me. My greatest fears, if anybody's done the Enneagram, I'm a three, achiever. So my greatest fear is failure and insignificance. I never want to be deemed insignificant. Hold on to your answers. We're going to come back to those. We're in Ephesians chapter 6. Here's the scripture for today. I'm going to read it all, and then we're going to section it out a little bit here. It says this, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord, and by this vast, by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God, so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. And pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. You know, as I look at that passage, I... I see three kind of topics in there, and, and any one of these could, could be a series in and of themselves, and, and yet because we're going through Ephesians kind of fast-paced, we got to hit all three of them today. So uh, those three topics are spiritual warfare, which I'm going to actually spend the majority of my time on. They, they asked me to preach on the armor of God, and as I looked over the scripture and I prayed over it, the Holy Spirit just said, no, Chris, I need you to te teach on spiritual warfare more than the armor of God. 
Okay, so about two-thirds of the message this morning is going to be on spiritual warfare. But then he does talk about the armor of God, and, and then he closes out with prayer. So let's look at, at just spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6, I'm going to look at 10 and 12. Let's read that one more time. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You wouldn't know that looking at some of our social media feeds, would you? It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. Friends, here's the reality. We are in the midst of a cosmic battle. There is a a war that is being waged all around us today. And, and, and I'm not talking about the culture wars that our, our church has been embroiled in in our, in our culture for way too long. I'm not talking about political wars, red or blue. I'm not talking about abortion. I'm not talking about LGBTQ. I'm talking about the war for our souls, for our hearts, for our minds, for our churches. You see, the the Bible says that that all around us, there's supernatural forces trying to persuade us one way or another, either towards God or away from God. In In a very simplistic sense, it's like the old cartoon with the angel on one shoulder and the devil on another, right? And both are are whispering in your ears, and you have to decide which way you're going to go. See, part of the problem in talking about spiritual warfare is is in the church, we tend to go to to one of two extremes. Either uh, we talk about it way too much. And Satan and demons is behind everything bad that ever happens, right? No, let's be honest. Sometimes we just make bad decisions, right? Or we're on this side of the extreme, and we don't ever talk about it. We're good talking about God. We're good talking about Jesus. We're good talking about heaven. I'm really uncomfortable over there, right? That's the reality is, unfortunately, all too often the church, and I'm not talking about Great Oaks, but the church at large is one of these two extremes, we have to find ourselves somewhere in the middle. Several years ago, when I was leading high school ministry here, uh, we, we felt this tug and this pull to, to teach on the supernatural to students. And so we did a, a six-week series called Supernatural. And it was a, a point-counterpoint. One of our volunteers, uh, Todd Shire, his family just moved to Tennessee this weekend. Bye, Todd. Hi, Todd, if you're watching online. Uh, Todd and Karen. Um, but Todd um, loves teaching as well as I did. And, and so we did this, like, trade-off. He would teach on God, and I would teach on Satan. He would teach on heaven, and I would teach on hell. He would teach on angels. I would teach on demons. I didn't fear, feel fair giving the volunteer all the bad stuff, right? Like, I'll tackle the bad stuff for you. But it was fascinating to go through that with the students, And as we began to to unpack what Scripture said, honestly, I learned a lot. And I'd been a pastor for a number of years. But I dove into what the Scriptures actually say about heaven and hell, God and and Satan, angels and demons. You see, here's the reality. We, We have to talk about the supernatural. And I think for two reasons. Number one, because our culture is talking about it all the time. I mean, think about the number of movies and TV shows and books that are out there talking about supernatural things, right? There's even a TV show called Supernatural, right? 
I mean, it's just it's smack in front of us. I, uh, we were at uh, Barnes & Noble. I was at Barnes & Noble. My wife was, uh, didn't want to read all the books or like, peruse, so she was in the car waiting for me to get done, which is a bad idea. Don't wait for me in a bookstore. Um, but I was, I was in Barnes & Noble last Sunday, and we're just kind of killing time before we went and saw a movie. And, and um, I, I was perusing around, and I came across this table, and, and it was all of these books, and I took a picture of it. It made me really uncomfortable, I'll be honest. And, and, and I sent it to Nate, and I said, I said, hey, no, we're not there yet. Oh, you're getting ahead of me. Sorry. I know I'm talking about books. I get excited when I talk about books. Um, but I took a picture of these books that were at Barnes & Noble in Peoria. And, and, and I sent it to Nate, and I said, man, I really want to show this. But I'm a little uncomfortable with it. And these were books that were just sitting out on the table for all to see. And I didn't want to show it in here for you guys. Our culture is, is talking about it all the time. And here's the problem, though. We cannot get our theology from culture. We cannot get our theology from Hollywood. When I did that, that series called Supernatural with the high school students, we were talking about angels one time, and, and one of the students uh, spoke up, and she said, well, angels are this and this and this. And I said, that's interesting. And I was very respectful, but she was wrong. But I was very respectful in my response to it. And I just said, I said, wow, that's amazing. And where'd you learn that from? She said, well, they, sh- they talk about it on Supernatural, the TV show. And I said, you know, I, I love you. I said, but don't get your theology from Hollywood. Get your theology from this. Review, evaluate what we learn about Supernatural from the culture through the lens of the scripture. So we have to talk about the Supernatural because our culture is talking about it. We also have to talk about the supernatural because, I mean, our entire faith system is built around the supernatural, right? I mean, we, we believe in a God that exists that we cannot see, taste, touch, or smell. That makes no sense to people outside the faith. We believe in a, a God that exists outside of the realm of space and time. Created time was before time, will be after time, exists outside of the bowl of reality that we would, we would call it. We read scripture and we, we read about heavenly councils where these, these beings, these heavenly beings, not angels, I mean angels there too, but the cherubim and all of these things, right? These heavenly councils are happening. We, we read about ministering spirits that are called angels, that are supernatural beings. And we believe that, that this God that we cannot see, taste, touch, or smell created the entire universe and he holds it all together. That he, he created man in his image. And we believe that, that this God chose to leave the throne room of heaven. All of the luxuries of heaven, all the privileges of heaven. To come down to, to be born a baby. To live here on earth. A physical life, both fully God and yet fully man. Wrap your head around that. To die on the cross to be buried in a borrowed tomb, and yet death could not hold him. Rose from the dead, as Nate said earlier, appeared for 40 days to over 500 people, and then ascended back to heaven, and is returning once again. We believe that, that this same God has a third person called the Holy Spirit that resides in every one of us when we say yes to Jesus. And this Holy Spirit is, is working in the midst of our world to, to draw people towards God, to convict us of our sin, to teach us truth. 
We have to talk about the supernatural because our whole belief system is built around the supernatural. It's not what we see here, what we can sense here. And if we believe that there is this good God who did all of these things, then we have to believe what the Bible says about his enemy. That there, there is a being who is opposed to God. And we refer to him as Satan or Satan. In Hebrew, it's literally the, the uh, um, just drew a blank, um, deceiver, no? Anyway, his job is to challenge, right? We, we have to believe in this person. We have to believe that what the Bible says, that Satan somehow, for some reason, God still allows him to have influence here on earth. And that he employs a, a loyal uh, group of followers called demons who, who seek to undermine the work of God in our lives and in this world. I, I remember when I was first introduced to this concept of spiritual warfare. I kind of, of course, growing up and, you know, I understood about angels and demons and good versus evil. And I loved Tolkien and, you know, C.S. Lewis and all of these books. And, you know, I understood evil because I read Stephen King when I was in middle school. And, and it was just all of this stuff, right? So I was kind of primed already for the supernatural. But honestly, it was just kind of this, this theoretical, like, yeah, whatever, right? And then I started becoming a follower of Jesus. And I started reading scripture. And, and then I was faced with this. Is this real? And if so, what do I do with this? When I was in, in college at Eastern Illinois University, our campus pastor uh, would reference books every now and again. He referenced this author named Frank Peretti, and I'd never heard of this guy. So I went and picked up one of his books, and, uh, This Present Darkness, and uh, another one that he wrote. And uh, it, it was this kind of fictional tale of a, a town that's underneath this, this spiritual battle, that's undergoing this spiritual battle. And he wrote in such a way, honestly, that it brought scripture to life for me. Now, he probably took some, some license, some creative license in there. But it was the first time that I actually sat and I'm like, are there angels here in this room? Are there demons in this room? And I had a young faith and it kind of freaked me out a little bit. I became a little, little paranoid. But then I started reading more scripture. and Then I, I, I encountered people that I knew and trusted who had supernatural experiences. And I didn't know what to do with them. And there was a guy in college that, that shared one day he was walking across the quad and strangely there was nobody there. And three men, all dressed the same, were running full speed towards him. And about 50 yards out, the two on the outside split off, disappeared, and the one in the middle ran up to him, didn't know who this guy was, ran up to him, said, John, you're in danger, we need to get you out of here now. Grabs him, takes him off the quad. And then the guy was gone. I'm like, what do I do with that? When I was at my last church, we had a missionary came. And he, he shared about how they had recorded some supernatural demonic activity on an old school film reel, right? Movie projector and all that. And he'd taken it around the world, had shown it in numerous countries. And the first time that he came into the United States and he went to a church and he put up the same projector, the same movie reel, turned it on, and it went up in flames. 
And he was not allowed to show it in the United States. What do I do with that? What do we do with the story of, of a group of people who feel compelled to meet in the middle of the night, 28 of them, to pray for missionary? And then they hear a week later that that missionary was under attack. And as the enemy came into the, the village where they were, they were stopped by 28 armed men outside of the camp. They'd never seen. And the missionary didn't know anything about these men. Never saw them. But the people who were about to attack turned away in fear because there were 28 strong men guarding that town. What do, what do we do with that? You see, when you start to get serious about your faith, when you start to, to really dive into what the scriptures say, when you start to get vocal about your faith, you will come under attack. I, I met a friend of mine this past week. I've known him for a long time, but he's gone through this, this spiritual awakening. And it is a completely different person than I've ever known in all the years I've known him. And his hunger for the word is, is insatiable, and his leading of his family is, is incredible in this moment. And, and it's just the change that's happening and his passion for, for the gospel and for Jesus. I mean, he's, he really is becoming kind of radical in his faith is what others are saying. And yet along with that, has come incredible spiritual warfare. Because Satan just wants him to chill. Wants you to chill. To not take this faith seriously. To not be passionate about the gospel. To not share this with anybody else. And if you do that, you're not going to be attacked. Satan doesn't care. But as soon as you start to get serious about Jesus... Hold on. You know, we have uh, people in the church that we call elders, leadership team members. Whenever somebody new would come on, I had this conversation recently with somebody. Whenever somebody new would come on, I would pull them aside and I would just say, be ready. I said, you're stepping into a very visible leadership position in the church. I said, Satan's going to try and take you out. Your marriage is going to get difficult. Your parenting is going to get hard. Business is going to get hard. I've seen it time and time and time again in 20 plus years of ministry. When men and women step into leadership in the church, they get opposed. You see, here's what Satan knows. If he can take out the leaders of the church, the church falls. Do you know in the Pentagon, there's this five-acre grassy field right in the middle of the Pentagon, Right? Every nation in the world that has long-range nuclear weapons has that coordinates marked in for a missile because they know if they can take out the military leadership of our country that we are more likely to fall. So when we say pray for your church leaders, it's not just a request. This is real. What they're going through on our behalf is incredible. Because there are men and women who say, I'm going to stand in the gap. I'm going to fend off the armies of Satan for this church, for my people here that God has called me to shepherd. Pray for your church leaders. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus says this, that a thief, speaking of Satan, comes only to, to steal and kill and destroy and Jesus says, but this, I, I have come, so let me have life 
and have it in the abundance. Another way that, that Satan is described in Scripture is, is by a lion. Peter writes in 1 Peter 5.8 that your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. When, when people in the first century would read Peter's words, they didn't think about, go ahead and throw up this picture again, they wouldn't think about this lion in the grass, right? They wouldn't think about a lion on, on the plains of Africa stalking an antelope. What first century Christians would read when they heard Peter write that word was they were picturing friends and family members and church members kneeling in a coliseum with thousands of Romans cheering on as a lion would pace around the Christians, waiting to decide who to eat first, and then cheering as that lion attacked and devoured a human being. This is what first century Christians would read when they read Peter's words about Satan. And Jesus, or Peter is saying, that's what your enemy is like. In this, this cosmic battle, that's what Satan is like. But here's the truth. And I don't want to freak you out, although I probably am already. I don't want to freak you out and leave you there, right? I was there for a while in my early years as a Christian. But here's the truth. We're feeding a defi- we're feeding, fighting, fighting a defeated enemy. And he knows it. For some reason, though, God has still given him influence in our world. But Jesus has already defeated this enemy on the cross, rose from the dead. Satan has no power. You want to take my life? Sure. It's not about this world. It's about what's next. We live in this, this already but not yet kingdom of God. Jesus has already won, and yet sin is still prevalent. Satan still has influence, and yet he will not give up. It reminds me of the movie Gladiator at the very beginning. They're fighting in Germania, and it's the final battle of a years-long war. And, and, and Russell Crowe, as, as the, the general, you know, his right-hand man comes to him and says, why don't they give up? Why, they know they're defeated. Why don't they give up? And Russell looks at his right-hand man, and he says, would you give up? Would I give up? Satan is not going to give up this battle, even though he's already defeated, even though he, he already knows that he's lost this war. He's going to swing till the end. Earlier, I asked you about your places of greatest discontent, insecurity, temptation, fear. Here's why I ask that. If you can identify those, then you know where Satan's going to attack. He's not going to attack you where you're strong. He's going to attack you where you're weak. In areas of your life where you're discontent, where you're tempted already, when you're fearful, when you're insecure. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called Screwtape Letters and it's a story of a demon named Screwtape and writing letters to an apprentice named Wormwood. And they're focusing on one man and his family and his faith. And, and Screwtape is, is trying to mentor Wormwood on how to get this guy to stop following Jesus. And so it's, it's satire, and it's hard to read because it's reversed, right? And so get him to do everything except pray. You know, get him to, to you know, not go to church, you know, if you can make his faith about something more than Jesus, Jesus and politics, you win. You win, Wormwood. If you can distract followers of Jesus with politics, we win. 
If you can distract them with culture wars, we win. If you can distract them with anything but Jesus, we win. If they have just mere Christianity, though, we lose Wormwood. Friends, we're in this cosmic battle. Fighting a defeated enemy. And yet God does not leave us alone. He says, Jesus says, take heart. I've overcome this world. I've conquered Satan already. In fact, I'm going to give you tools and resources to defend off the attacks of Satan. And that's the next section in Ephesians as we talk about the armor of God. Look at Ephesians 6, 13 through 17. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You know, honestly, when I read the armor of God for, for a long time, I just pictured medieval armor, right? I, I, I pictured the, the knight and the suit of armor and all that stuff. But the reality is, is when, when Christians would read these words early in the first century, they would think about Roman soldiers with a combination of primarily leather, like thick leather, and a little bit of metal and some wood, right? And in, in our day and age, uh, this is the closest I could get to it. Metamorph football. That's right. Right? Like we've got students in all different sports, not just football. Right? Dang, that thing, I don't know what that is. I didn't play football, so this is foreign to me. Um, we have students that suit up all the time for battle. Right? Whether it's on the football field, the volleyball court, whatever it is. We see in athletics this idea of, 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 of war, right? And for all the non-sports people, you're like, yay, go sports ball, right? But just bear with me as I use sports as a metaphor, right? But, but th- this is Ben Wallace's. Ben's a sophomore. He's 6'6", 315 pounds. Our O-line, from what I understand, if you're a metamorph football fan, our O-line weighs over 1,500 pounds this year. They are big boys, Right? He would never go onto the battlefield without this helmet on his head. He would never go on without this, these pads on his shoulders, right? He would never go on without these size 15, I think. Dang. I thought I had big shoes. He would never go onto the battlefield without these shoes, right? And yet so many of us, as followers of Jesus, we're going into battle, and we don't even realize we have armor at our disposal, Let's look at at what what Paul writes about here. He says, the the belt of truth. And I just want to kind of point counterpoint, like that supernatural series I did. I want to point counterpoint these these pieces of armor. The battleground of Satan for the belt of truth is deception. The word tells us that that Satan is a murderer and the father of all lies. Like he's going to try and deceive you constantly. You have to have the belt of truth around your waist. We have to throw on the the breastplate of righteousness. The battleground of Satan here is sin. We're we're called to live righteousness, to to be sanctified, to become more like Jesus. And Satan wants us to become more and more opposed to Jesus. We're to be sandaled with the readiness for the, the gospel of peace. Think about that word peace. How many of us would love to have more peace in our life? 
And yet so often we're, we're enmeshed in worry. Sandaled with readiness, without hesitation, confidence. And Jesus says in Matthew 6, why worry? It does you no good, except gives Satan a foothold in your life. And Paul says, shield of faith. The battleground of Satan here is doubt. You know, when, when Paul wrote this passage, uh, the Roman soldiers would carry a, a shield that was heavily canvassed in leather. And before they would go into battle, they would dip it in water so it was wet. And that way, when, when the enemy would shoot fiery arrows at them and they would land in the shield, the water would put the arrows out, right? That's what Satan does. Sometimes it's, a, it's an upfront, in-your-face battle. Sometimes it's a shot out of nowhere that you didn't even see coming. And all of a sudden, you're like, whoa, wait, is that real? Like, is that true? I and mean, we have these seeds of doubt that can grow in our mind. And that's the next piece of armor, the, the helmet of salvation. And the battleground of Satan there is your mind. Our, our mind is the primary place that spiritual battle is fought. Romans 12, 12, 2, write this down. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Where our mind goes, our thoughts go, our actions go, our words go, our bodies go, our lives go. Transform your mind and you transform everything. You know what's crazy about all these armors, pieces of armor I've read about so far? They're all defensive. I haven't yet read a piece of armor that's offensive. In this entire list, there's only one that is both defensive and offensive, and that's the last one, the sword of the spirit. When the battleground of Satan here is temptation. The word of God, it actually says it in there. Paul says the sword of the spirit is the word of God. Think about Jesus' temptation. When Satan, before he began his ministry, Satan pulled him aside three times and tested him. What did Jesus say every time? He quoted scripture back to Satan. It's the only weapon that is both defensive and offensive. We have to know this word. Otherwise, all of these attacks of Satan can find footholds in our lives. But, but we, we see this fiery brand come in, and we go, whoa, no, no, no. That is not what the Bible says, Satan. I don't believe you. We, we have another fiery shot come in. Whoa, 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 hold up. That is not true. I know what the Bible says about me. I remember this girl. She was weeping one night at youth group. I just asked her what's wrong, and she began to, to unpack all of the horrible things that her dad was saying about her constantly, her entire life. All of the verbal and emotional abuse that she went through. And it began to, to just read from scripture who God says she is. You are made in the image of God. An image bearer of the heavenly father. You are loved daughter of the king. You are so valuable that Jesus died for you on the cross. She began to weep again, not out of pain now out of confusion. And she's like, is this true? It, it forced her to, to begin to ask, what does God say about me versus what do I say about myself versus what my dad says about me versus what the world says about me? We have to know this book. And lastly, we have to spend time in prayer. 
The very last part of this section is all about prayer. Pray in the spirit. Pray for me, Paul says. Pray that I can have boldness, reveal the mystery of the gospel. Pray that that I'm bold enough to speak about it as I should. We have to go to prayer. Whether it's in our, our own prayer closets where we dedicate time to pray, whether it's in groups of of other brothers and sisters in Christ, whether it's as we we drive down the road and we think about somebody, whether we dream about somebody. Last night I had uh, two dreams, separate dreams about the Basque country. It's a mission uh, that we used to partner with here at the church. I I haven't thought about the Basque people in I don't know how many years. I I haven't looked at anything. I haven't come across anything about the Basque people. And yet all of a sudden, God, twice last night in my dreams, put the Basque people in front of me. And so I messaged this morning before I came to church, our missionary in Basque country, and said, I dreamed about you last night. Is there anything I can pray about for you? I don't know. Maybe there's nothing. But maybe there is. Maybe there's something going on in Spain right now that we need to be praying for, for our missionaries. I don't know. But you have to commit to prayer. Final story, years ago, here at Great Oaks. Band, if you want to come on out. Years ago at Great Oaks, I had somebody come up and they were facing cancer. And they said, Chris, would you do a a healing service for me? And I said, yes. But in my own heart, in my own head, I had to confess the doubt. I didn't think God would heal. I didn't think God still does that. Even though I'm a pastor and I read it and all this stuff, right? I had to confess my own sinfulness that I doubted God. So I said, yes, I'll do this. And I went into a time of of fasting and prayer. Not just prayer, but fasting and prayer. I didn't eat for seven days leading up to this healing service. And as I, I read the scripture, all of the incredible times that God healed people in the Old Testament, the New Testament, just popped off the scriptures. It was like a, the first time I'd ever seen that God could and would heal people. And I went into that prayer service with such a renewed passion and energy and trust in God. And I might have let her down a little bit because she said, is God going to heal me? And I said, I don't know. She's like, well, I thought you were supposed to heal me. I'm like, I don't know. I'm just saying I believe that God can now. Because of the time I've spent in prayer and fasting, because Satan was telling me that God will not heal her. I'm excited to tell you she is healed. Was it supernatural? I don't know. Was it modern medicine? I don't know. I don't really care. God healed her. And at the same time, she was in such an incredible place that she understood even if God didn't heal her and she died, she is with Jesus. Paul says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Which one do I want? I don't know, I wanna go, but I wanna stay. She was a a member of the church that was teaching the teacher about our scriptures, about our faith, about what I'm supposed to believe. Friends, we're in a cosmic battle. And if you don't believe that, you're fooling yourself. If you don't think this is real, that Satan's real, that demons are real, that there's an enemy prowling around you like a lion, you are fooling yourself. I know I don't normally preach like this, but it's what God put on my heart this morning. We're all in this battle because Satan would love nothing more than to take out Great Oaks Community Church and its people. Starting with the leaders, 
pray for our leaders. Pray for yourself for a boldness of faith in your own life, knowing that with it comes the attack. But go boldly regardless. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are king, that you are conqueror, that you are victorious, that you are winner, that, that, that you and Satan entered that boxing ring and you alone came out victorious. Father, we thank you for that. We hold on to that truth. We don't live in fear and yet we live in wisdom knowing that, that we are called to fight back, to resist the work of Satan in our head, in our hearts, our words, our lives. Father, give us boldness. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit that, that we go out like the early church and we just speak with boldness to declare not the name of Great Oaks Community Church, not the name of Chris Genders, YFC, any ministry, any kingdom builder, but to lift up and declare alone the name of Jesus. And it's in that name we pray. Amen.